Hi everyone, it's Mr. Perez, and today you're listening to episode one of my new series called Walking Talking Mocks. Thank you so much for joining me, and I hope that you gained something from listening to this week's episode. In this series, I hope to give you an insight into how to successfully tackle exam papers, including how to break down questions, plan responses, and write excellent answers. This isn't necessarily about completing the exam together, although you can of course pause the episode and attempt every question after I've gone over it. It is more about me sharing tips and guidance with you to help you with this and future exam papers. I'm also not necessarily going to share the correct answers. In fact, I'll try not to. As a teacher myself, I'm fully aware that your teacher may want to use this exam in an upcoming mock, and I want you to be able to succeed in that mock of your own accord and not just copy my answers. That won't work, trust me. First though, some housekeeping. It's probably best if you listen to this with today's exam paper in front of you, printed as opposed to online. I'll be asking you to write some things on or around the questions themselves, so this just makes it easier. To that end, I'd advise that you have some different colour pens and a highlighter by your side. You'll find all the papers I refer to on AQA's website. You need to only use Google, type in AQA A-Level Geography, and on the first page, you're going to see something, a tab called Assessment Resources, and you should click on that. I'll also have it linked in the description to this episode. In this episode, we're actually going to cover 2020's paper two, the Human Geography paper. This is part one, so I'll only cover global systems and global governance. Part two will cover changing places, and part three finishes with contemporary urban environments. Unlike my GCSE series, here I only have four questions to cover or five when it comes to section C. So I should be able to go into a lot more detail. Okay, with pens and highlighters at the ready, let's make a start. Question 1.1 asks, explain how differential access to markets can impact on economic well-being. Every question in your exam is four marks or above, and so I recommend using the bug technique. If you don't know what it is, it's B for box, the command word. So that's explain in this instance. The U is for underline the key terms. I would go for differential access to markets, impact and economic well-being, which may look like the whole question, but those are key to answering this question. Usually, I'd try not to underline the whole thing. Finally, G is for glance. Glance at the number of marks to ensure you keep to time, therefore spend, I'd say, less than five minutes on these questions, and also glance back to make sure your response is focused and links back to the question. Four markers purely test AO1, that's knowledge and understanding. Here you are being tested not only on if you know what differential access to markets is, but also how it affects economic well-being. The spec asks you to also consider societal well-being, but this question doesn't. Think of this as being point and develop answers, twice. So P and E, point and explain, gets you one plus one marks, that's two marks. Do that again and you get four out of four. AQA's advice is students should be looking to include four pieces of information, either as separate points or two developed points. As a result, this is the only question in your two exams which will be tick marked, four ticks and you have four marks. So one point might be that in a trading block such as USMCA, formerly known as NAFTA, can have negative impacts such as overdependence on the economy of countries in the trading block. So that's Mexico, for example, being reliant on the US. You would then develop this by suggesting a negative consequence of over-reliance, and that would have secured you two marks. You do that again, and you have four in total. I always tell my students that exemplification is a great type of explanation. So use an example or case study to show how you know what a process or a term means. Whilst this is quite useful, 
you should be warned that whilst exemplification is good, name dropping isn't. You must use your example to answer the question and show off your knowledge and understanding of a concept, system or key term. For example, here you must link your mention of USMCA, the EU, the WTO or whatever you mention to the idea that differential access to markets can impact on economic well-being positively or negatively. So you must use the example in your answer. It should be integrated. And that brings me to another point. The question uses the word impact. Although your mind might be geared to associate the word with the negative, such as, you know, the impacts of deforestation, you are free to discuss positive impacts too. After all, some non-EU countries are so desperate to join the EU purely based on its positive impacts, so there must be some. Finally, one dangerous thing to be aware of for these types of questions is something known as double credit. If you simply reverse a point, for example, opposite points such as in trade blocks, uh, it is easier to trade, but not being in a trade block makes it harder to trade. So direct opposites, then don't expect double marks. You've done no nothing worthy of credit. You've just said the same thing, but just reversed. And so you won't be double credited just for flipping something around. Try to avoid this then. It won't remove marks as papers are not negatively marked, but it might restrict your chances of getting four out of four if you've said something that is simply a double credit and you think you're going to uh, get yourself four out of four and then move on. So do be wary of that. Question 1.2. As with most first six markers in a section, question 1.2 asks you to analyse the data shown in figure one. Analyse questions tend to trip up a lot of people. But with the help of a simple acronym, we should be able to tackle this together. Firstly, pause this episode and study figure one for about a minute or two on your own. Figure one shows the relationship between the change in GDP per person and attitudes towards globalization for selected countries. Information is also provided on total GDP and the percentage of foreign born population in those countries. The acronym is BUTAS, pronounced if you want to remember it more easily as beauties. That's B-E-W-T-T-A-S. Not the most memorable acronym ever, I must admit, but it does cover everything and so it is hugely useful. I'd like you to now write this acronym next to figure one. So that's B-E-W-T-T-A-S. So write that nice and big next to figure one, your paper copy of the exam. B is for between. This is for questions with two figures or two or more figures. So clearly it doesn't apply here. You can go ahead and actually cross this off completely. We won't be using B. E, we will be using. E is for evidence. The fact that you will need to refer to specific countries in your answer and even specifically the percentage change in GDP per person or their percentage of people agreeing along the y-axis. This reference data needs to be manipulated. So, for example, the fact that India has a 26% greater change in GDP than France. Notice how I didn't just pick something for India and then pick something for France. I've actually directly compared it. This doesn't have to be overly complex. If you don't do A-level maths or A-level further maths, that doesn't mean you're at a disadvantage. At A-level geography, they're not looking for anything too over the top. Just simple manipulation. Show that you've done something with the data because anyone can pick a data off an axis, but only a good geographer who is good at analysing can manipulate data. Next, the W is for within. This is crucial for a question with only one figure, which we have in this instance. 
you should look for links between all three bits of data. One, GDP per person, percentage change. Two, uh, globalization is a force for good, percentage of people agreeing. But also, hidden in the key, three, the percentage of foreign-born population in those countries, which shows a sliding scale of colors from beige to red. So I hope you spotted that. T is for trend. This is important and arguably what you probably would have thought to include first, but I'll talk about order of the acronym in a moment. You need to show that you appreciate the bigger picture, the overall trend. You should look for a correlation between attitudes to globalisation and GDP per person change. T is for temporal. Although dates are mentioned, this is not really important to this question. You can go ahead and cross this off completely too. We won't be using it. A then is for anomalies. Anomalies are pieces of data which do not follow the general pattern or trend. It doesn't have to be obvious things, like Finland sticking out in a way that I'll let you figure out for yourself. It can sometimes be where relationships are less clear. So maybe look at the UAE and Denmark. And finally, S is for spatial. This should really be reserved for an analysed question with a clearer spatial element, like those with a map or two. You can go ahead and cross this off completely, as we won't be using it. So that's just a quick run through of the beauties acronym. That's B E W double T A S. The order is of course not the order in, you, in which you should be doing it in. It's just an aid memoir, something to help you remember the elements of a great six mark analyze response. For example, I'd probably do the T for trend first. And also importantly, as I've already mentioned, you also don't have to use all seven letters. For instance, we've actually only used four of them in this instance, that's okay. This makes for a perfectly okay, in fact, great six mark analyzed response. Question 1.3 asks, using figure 2A, 2B, and your own knowledge, to what extent do you agree that tourism is a threat to Antarctica? These questions require you to use both the resource and your own knowledge. It's testing AO1 and AO2. The command word is to what extent. So you need to study the resources, then use evidence from the resources and your own knowledge to form an opinion. The emphasis is on application of knowledge and not analysis of the resource, which is actually what you've just been doing lots of in the previous question. So you've gone from the four marker all being about AO1 knowledge, the six marker being about not your knowledge at all, purely AO3, and now you're back to a question which there is a mix of AO1 and AO2. So do be aware of that. You are going to be essentially having to switch between very, very different mental modes and ways of working very, very quickly. Here are my top tips for this question and six markers which feature a figure in general. Firstly, the figure is to be used as a springboard. You need to strike a balance between using it but also not relying on it too much. Even if there was only one figure, I'd actually aim to refer to it explicitly at least twice. But given that there are two, I think at least two sentences in your answer need to have a clear signpost like figure 2b highlights dot 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 or figure 2a outlines the threat of dot dot dot. So the way I'd approach it is firstly, look at both of them carefully. Secondly, identify one or two things you want to say in relation to them. For example, figure 2b shows that tourists have landed on a penguin colony and that penguins uh, breeding and feeding patterns may be affected by tourism. And then three, write a sentence or two linking the figure to the question, clearly using the words of the question, mainly the word threat. That's how you use a figure and that's how you integrate it. Next, remember that 
the phrase and your own knowledge can mean that you use other case studies or example but it does not have to be that just you explaining how and why tourism is a threat to antarctica using logic and understanding which you couldn't have gotten from the figure counts as your own knowledge there is no need to say stuff in more facts and figures that you know just for the sake of it only if they link to the question set that being said additional knowledge can help especially if you tie it in with the to what extent focus of this question Let's just say that you believe that tourism is actually a minimal threat to Antarctica and you believe that uh, because of how well it is managed. You might bring in knowledge about the great work carried out by the IAATO in order to reduce the impact of tourism on the continent's pristine landscapes. Alternatively, if you want to, you could argue that tourism is a significant threat because it will only increase as disposable incomes rise around the world. There has, after all, been a 600% increase in visitors to Antarctica since the 1980s. So both those ways are ways of using your own knowledge, but very, very clearly focused on the question, which is about how tourism is or is not a threat to Antarctica. So let's check. Have we addressed the to what extent focus of the question? This means you're essentially being asked, how big of a threat is tourism in your opinion? It's asking about tourism. So I'd caution you against bringing in other threats because yes, I know we are all thinking of climate change as being the biggest threat, but try not to twist the question. You've been asked about how tourism is a threat, not about which threat you believe to be the most significant. So do be careful with that. Perhaps my best advice for these types of to what extent questions to really get to the heart of them quite quickly is to use what I call to what extent language. Language which shows an opinion. Because after all, threats aren't just threats. They are significant, important, minor, small, large, substantial, etc, etc. Use words which imply size or magnitude and you'll get across your opinion nice and quickly. Finally, question 1.4 is the 20 marker which ends this section. The UN has worked tirelessly to promote growth and stability across the globe, but TNTs have been far more successful in this regard. To what extent do you agree with this view? 20 markers are a tricky beast, I'll be honest. Don't expect a perfect structure from me, not even a perfect paragraph outline. There isn't one, so I won't pretend that there is one. I know that's not what you want to hear, but 20 markers are the makers or breakers of top grades. So of course, AQA wouldn't make a question which could be consistently cracked by a set acronym structure which you could be taught early in year 12 and then never think of again. Hopefully, though, my tips will guide your future thinking and therefore help you out. A 20 marker definitely deserves to be bugged. So go ahead and do that. Pause the episode and come back in a second to see how you've done. For B, box, uh, clearly to what extent is the command word or command phrase? For you, I would underline UN, growth, stability, TNCs and more successful. It's clear that this question has an opinion right? If you are to sort of, let's say, personify the question and pretend that this question is a person, let's say somebody in your class, this person is saying that the UN has worked tirelessly, they've done lots and lots of work across the globe to promote growth and stability, but actually they think that TNCs have been much more successful in this regard. And I find that quite an easy way uh, to then tackle the question because you sort of personify it, you think about it as someone who is, I don't know, your mate in the class or somebody in the class that you often have good debates with and you think do I agree with them and why or do I not agree with them and why 
G again is for glance at the number of marks, so you're going to have about 25 minutes tops. But also the G is for glance at the question, to make sure you keep looking back at the end of every single paragraph, ensuring that your summary sentence has a strong focus on the question set. So here are my top tips for this question and 20 markers in general. The trick with 20 markers is to get the right balance of AO1 and AO2. Broadly speaking, AO1 is knowledge and AO2 is more understanding and analysis, etc. But it's so important that AO2 leads the way. A brilliant set of AO1 has never and will never get you 20 out of 20. In fact, if done extremely well, and I've rarely seen, seen this happen, in fact, never, it will just get you 10 out of 20. But it's almost impossible to get a purely 10 out of 20 based on just AO1. So I wouldn't aim for it. Examiners care not for people who simply memorize facts and figures. Anyone can do that. But only excellent geographers can use this knowledge to analyze and to argue. Therefore, when planning, you need to lead with AO2. It's not, how can I stuff this case study in? How can I use that fact and figure? Oh, I revised this place. How can I possibly put it in? It's, how do I form an answer to this question? So first comes your point that on a national scale, the UN have failed to promote stability. And then comes your great evidence about their past failures in Rwanda, but also their ongoing failures in Somalia and Yemen. So the point comes first, and the lovely evidence comes after. What I'm getting at here is that planning is crucial. You need to devote at least five minutes, if not slightly more. Believe me, with a good plan in place, you will write and write like there's no tomorrow. But with no plan, your answer will crumble, it'll be repetitive, it'll be contradictory, and it will ultimately fail to reach level four. I've read every single examiner's report available. Not a single one has mentioned an introduction, but pretty much everyone has mentioned the word conclusion when it comes to 20 markers, highlighting their importance. Whilst a clear conclusion at the end is important, please don't fall into the trap of thinking that a simple conclusion will magically get you 20 out of 20. You can and should be showing off your opinion throughout. I should get to your conclusion and know pretty much what you're going to say. It shouldn't be a surprise that say you believe the UN has been utterly useless in promoting growth and stability, if that's what you believe. To do this, let's think back to my six marker advice. You're going to want to use lots of, to what extent, language. Language which shows an opinion. So you say, for example, TNCs have promoted substantial growth in EMEs such as India, or the UN's impact on promoting stability via peace has been significantly limited by an action from its peacekeeping troops at crucial moments. Notice how I don't mince my words. I'm building an argument with conviction. I've got that from two places, either one. One, I'm pretending that I'm you and I've studied geography for two years. You may absolutely love the subject and these opinions come naturally to you, but even if not, let's be clear, this is not the first time you've been asked to form an opinion about the UN, nor the disadvantages of TNCs. Or I get it from another place. If I really don't have an opinion, and believe me, even as a teacher, when sometimes I read the questions from Changing Places or some tough ones in this topic or the other human topic, I do sometimes have to make up the opinion. I make it up and then I go for it with conviction. It's that simple. So you can't to and fro too much in that five minutes of planning and you also can't really or should not really begin to start writing without a clear opinion. So if all else is failing, just make an opinion and go for it. So wherever you go, 
for example, the UN is much better than the TNCs, or the opposite, or the UN has been better at this in the past, but now TNCs are the world leaders in creating growth and stability. Wherever you go, just go for it with confidence. For the sake of argument, I'll pretend that my opinion is that the UN have largely failed at attempts at promoting growth and stability, and the TNCs have been uh, very able in actually doing this instead of them. I would write a short and succinct intro outlining my view in as few words as I possibly can and just quickly define what I mean by growth and stability. I'll then have two paragraphs on how TNCs have promoted growth and stability and then one final paragraph on the UN. First, outlining successes because it deserves that balance but then very quickly outlining their many huge failures. Then a conclusion ends my essay, restating my opinion and briefly reminding the reader of my main argument. I did say no acronym truly works 100% of the time and I stick by that. But I find that PEDAL is quite good. That's P for point, E for evidence, D for developed, which is the real crux of the paragraph, the make or break. And finally, L for link, the summary sentence which ties the paragraph to my main point, but also uses that lovely to what extent language I discussed earlier. Before we end, let's quickly talk about scale. Spatial and temporal change is something you need to recognise and you need to be very clear when you're referring to it. Make it really obvious to the examiner. When speaking about the spatial scale, say national or local or international. For example, it is clear that TNCs are having a global impact as globalisation means that they are based in almost every nation on earth. But when speaking about the temporal, use phrases like short term, long term, long lasting, etc. These are things to be peppered throughout your essay. It's Maybe not possible to include them in every single paragraph, but certainly try and have an eye towards them and a reference to them at least once, if not twice, quite clearly in your essay. It's what truly takes things into level four and closer to 20 out of 20. Right, that brings this episode to an end. Hopefully it's been helpful in covering exam technique for 2020's paper two, section on global systems and global governance, and some general hints and tips regarding your exams. As always, thanks so much for listening and best of luck.